Welcome to The Look Back, the newest podcast hosted by former journalist turned media executive and host Keith Newman. The Look Back provides insights, tips, and maybe a few laughs during a free-flowing conversation on that roller coaster ride that reflects the past, present, and future of the Silicon Valley and tech economy. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, friends. Another episode of The Look Back, and what a fun guest I have today. Folks, this is Heidi Roizen from Threshold Ventures. Hey, Heidi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I'm actually in a very good mood today because I knew I was speaking with you. Um, Obviously, somebody I have a great uh, amount of respect for, a great history with, and nothing but fantastic uh, uh, memories. So there are fewer and fewer of those people that fit that criteria for me, Heidi. So. <laughs> well, right back at you. <laughs> Thanks for joining. I really do appreciate it. You know, I'm not that familiar with Threshold Ventures. And the reason um, I even mentioned that is because I want to respect the, the role you have today. It sounds fantastic. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But with the name of the program, The Look Back, I want to start with, you know, where I met you and where I, I kind of think it's a great story. The, if you will, the archetypal a Silicon Valley startup um, in a sense that a couple Stanford kids get together, find this software program and develop this software program, I should say. Uh, I know your brother was instrumental in your, your team. And then you, you wandered about, got some funding, launched the thing, and you're off to the races. And yet it wasn't a very archetypal stand. Silicon no, Valley. in fact, let's start with the fact that my brother, who really was the the founder CTO, you know, wrote the program, came up with the idea. I mean, he was a Berkeley grad, so you know, okay. uh, we got no, no. there. I, and listen, you got to make sure that's covered because uh, I would get huge uh, death threats if I didn't properly articulate the 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 findings. Uh, yeah. This part. So, I mean, two things about it that were not stereotypical or a number of things. He was Berkeley grad. So we had Berkeley Stanford. Right. He was living on the East Coast at the time. So so we kind of started it. Rem- I was Peter, here right? in the Peter Valley. And let's go ahead and give him a name. Peter, my brother, yeah. Peter. Yes. And, um, and um, we tried to raise VC and nobody would fund us. So we actually bootstrapped the company for six years before we ever raised venture. Well, and I was going to mention that. I didn't know it was six years, but I was going to say, but you were an archetypal in, in a number of ways. Be, uh, besides what you just mentioned, you were going to be Mac only. And at the time it was completely a DOS world, a, you know, soon to be Windows world. And that you, you had this yeah. crazy weird guy named Royal who you were, uh, running the company. Wonderful Royal, yes. I got to give a shout out to him. I, I secretly love him as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then obviously a, a female running the company at a time where that was not quite the norm, was that it? Was pretty unusual, yes. I was uh, I was telling somebody that a little while ago. We were talking about, you know, what it was like in the early days. And I, I said, you know, I remember going to events where there'd be a hundred people in the room and I would literally be the only woman. And this could have been yeah, like, thankfully, the- that doesn't happen very much anymore today, thankfully. Yeah, um, still, but still, yeah, I, I will acknowledge still too small of a number, but yeah. Yep. If you meet with a startup CEO today, it's a female, you probably don't even do a double take in, in your role because you. No. And, and actually, I'd say we're running probably close to half of the companies we fund are 
women women led. Yeah, right. it's exciting. That, that's fantastic. So we go back to those those fun days. Um, how do you make it work? Um, first of all, besides the Cal Stanford thing, <laughs> besides the Royal Heidi thing, um, how do you get traction at a point in time where um, it's a smallish market? It's 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 scrambling for venture. It's scrambling for yeah. deals. What do you think of are the secrets to what you did back then with TMaker, um, the word processing application that all of a sudden it caught fire and it, and it all of a sudden became a hit? Well, I think it's kind of the, tr the truth that underlies everything about being an entrepreneur, about going from nothing and making something out of nothing. Yep. And I think sometimes it gets missed in all of the Silicon Valley lore, the funding and blah, 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 is um, it's kind of, it sounds so simple. Make something that somebody wants to pay you for. Mm. And, and I think that the, the fundamental idea of commerce and of startups and of for-profit entities is that somebody's gonna pay you to use what you create and they're gonna pay you more money than it costs you to do it. And as simple as that sounds, that is largely lost in a, in a lot of things. And you know, call me old fashioned, I've been a VC now for 22 years, pretty scary. But time and time again, what I will say, and it was certainly true of TeamMaker, the way we got off the ground because we didn't, we were not able to raise funding for various reasons. Um, brother, sister team, one living on the East Coast. Uh, I was 25 at the time, which today people starting companies are quite young, but back then that seemed like kind of a crazy age to start. Yeah. Uh, my undergrad degree was in creative writing, not exactly the kind of resume from central casting for a CEO of a tech company. Again, at the time, woman, all that, all that stuff. But my brother had written a product and it was actually the first instantiation of the product was a spreadsheet and it was for CPM computers, which I'm really dating myself to say. Mm -hmm. But the good news is in a way it was such a small market and everybody was a hobbyist and aficionado. I mean, the personal computer was just kind of getting going. And, you know, that was the year the IBM PC was announced and, you know, the Apple that Mac was not yet out yet. And so, um, you know, long story short, we started selling it. We started going to things like the West Coast Computer Fair, a great old, oh, you yeah. remember it, you were there, um, or the NCC, the National Computer Conference, or all these hobby kind of things, and literally selling it in baggies, right? You know, you had a disc and a manual and a plastic bag, and and that's how you get started, right? You, you sell at the time it was selling individual things to individuals. And then we got a distribution agreement with uh, Lifeboat at the time, which was a distributor. And then we got one with Ingram and Soft, uh, what was it called? Soft, Soft Cell. Your memory. Uh, you know, and so you started in business land back in your, in your days, we started yeah. distributing through business land. So, you know, but the, at the end of the day, it really is about making something somebody wants to pay you to, to, to use. I mean, that at the end of the day to me is still a fundamental of entrepreneurship. Great point, Heidi. And I think that does go, um, that's often overlooked. The thing I will give you credit for, and even why we mentioned some of the other names on the call and, and, and your team had a maniacal focus on evolution. 
And what I mean by that is I would sit down with your folks and they would ask me questions and just hammer me. And I'm a reporter asking them questions. <laughs> what are you hearing about this? Or what do you like about that? Are you using the product here? Let, here's the product. Tell me what you, you got to tell me what you like about it. Oh, and then here's the packaging and Royal would go over. Yeah, I was going to say, you sound just like Royal. You're channeling Royal Ferris right now. But, but it was the whole team. And you yeah. had such a wonderful. But he was great. At, he was particularly great at that. But you said find things that people like. Well, 1.0 was to get you in the game, but I mean, it was just a constant pursuit of making it better uh, for that customer based on what you were hearing back from them and the feedback you were capturing and what you all explored and, and discovered internally was missing. You'd, you'd continue to rev and evolve. Well, and that's another important point. And, and again, it's not that it's missing today. I know lots of entrepreneurs who do this as well, who engage with the customer. But you know, when you're a startup and you're a small company, you're a CEO, you're loading the dishwasher and you're on manning the tech support lines, right? And we all manned the tech support lines. And so, you know, you really understand that there is a big connection between, for example, making a user interface decision, right? Where to put the, the thing on the menu bar. Right. And then if that's not intuitive to the customer, it's one thing to make that decision. It's another thing to field 12 calls in a day where everyone says, well, I can't find this feature. And you're like, oh, well, go to this menu, click here, click there, do this. And you realize over and over again when you're constantly answering the same question that it's a design error. Yeah. And so I think that, that again, I mean, you know, this is my salty roots as an entrepreneur, but I really believe in that close connection to the customer. Now, there, that's a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, you want to satisfy what your customers want, right? Yeah. On the other hand, a lot of times customers will increasingly narrow your focus to their very specific needs. And when you're creating a very generic prod product, like a word processor or a spreadsheet or a database, or you know, back in the day, those were the things that we worked on, yeah. you had to be careful to not pigeonhole yourself to increase an increasingly smaller user base because you were kind of going up the chain of increasingly more sophisticated solutions, but that would only solve one person's problems. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, if I were to be a cynical uh, person for a second, and I'm not normally, I would say a lot of companies today are not spending that uh, uh, amount of time listening to the customer and paying attention. I, I think the best ones do. I was just going to say that. Should. I have a feeling, <laughs> even though Elon or Travis or whomever, you know, Jack or whomever, I, I, I still bet they look at the customer logs um, since there are no more, uh, you know, phone lines. It's all bots and logs, but uh, they are studying that customer in uh, interaction, that feedback. The good ones are. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. No, um, I, I totally, I, I think so. And, and again, it depends on the product. You know, if you're selling a product that costs a couple bucks a month and you're the CEO and you've got millions of users, you're probably not manning the tech support lines. If you're selling a high-end, you know, cloud-based system platform that someone's spending millions of dollars a year to deploy, you probably are having some, even as a CEO, some very serious conversations with a subset of those customers. And so, but I think everyone, everyone, everyone selling a product should at least have some 
uh, ability to be in touch with the people who are paying you the money to use that product. Yeah. Well, let's continue to share that with you, with your portfolio of companies and me, as I'm talking to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs all the time and, and the rest of our fr friends listening. So let's go back again. The look back is, is supposed to be fun and nostalgic too. You had some, some great um, uh, high points in the, uh, in those early days. <laughs> what sticks out for you from the standpoint of, okay, I know we're real now. I know this is going to be a, a, a serious business or feel like, I don't think you ever necessarily feel like you made it, but at least you got to a point where uh, we're yeah. real things are happening. What yeah. was that high point? And then I'll even throw in um, what were, what were some of those uh, special Fun moments? moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we can talk yeah. about. I think uh, like we were yeah. joking um, I think the statute of limitations has passed now. So yeah, no, but we'll get to the fun one in a minute. So let me tell you that you know you've made it when sort of thing, yeah. which you never know you've made it. And I don't think I ever made it. Yeah. But uh, I remember I was walking down a street in Hong Kong and I saw our products in the window of a computer store. Oh, that's right. Cool. And, and yeah. so there's moments like that. Same thing in Paris, you know, mm -hmm. being somewhere in the world and seeing your product not in your native language and in back in the day when you sold software in boxes, seeing it on a box on somebody's shelf in another country. Yeah. I think another thing was the excitement of having users uh, who were famous people who would call tech support, right? Because just because they're famous. And That's I remember one in, yeah, in particular. Name. I remember that there were a few. Good. And, uh, you know, hopefully if they hear this, they, they will fess up that they, they you know, there were, there were a few. Uh, but one of them was Brooke Shields. And so let's just say there were a certain number of people on the tech support line who were like fighting for those calls. Cause you'd have to tell us back then that day you would register your product and then you would tell us you were calling, right. you know, you'd send in a little registration card. So we yeah. knew you were an actual owner of the product. And then another one was Buzz Aldrin and everybody got super excited when Buzz Aldrin would call. I bet. And, um, so anyway, there were some people like that, that were like, you were like, oh my God, they're using our product. And, uh, and then there were some other, you know, I would, I would call it, well, I mean, he's a famous guy, Will Hurst, right? You know, the local person, but also at the time he was the, you know, uh, publisher of the paper in San Francisco. And, and he jokingly, he used to call it, uh, this was right now, the word processor, right? The word processor for the Mac. And he jokingly used to call it Heidi Ryder. I remember he'd call and goes, I need tech support on Heidi Ryder. And so, you know, it was fun. I mean, that there is a certain element of connection with your customer and not just the famous customers, right? There was, there was um, uh, oh, what was his name? There was, a, there was a pastor and his name was Father Hess. And he used to call us all the time. This is a funny story. He used to call us all the time and, um, need tech support and he and and he was this very sweet guy but i imagined him like you know the franciscan monk in his in his robes and stuff like that so anyway and you'll know where this story is going immediately we were at an early mac world and i see royal and i was single at the time you know and i see royal talking to this guy and and let's just say he was an extremely handsome guy okay, okay? And so I, and I, and, and they're having this very engaged conversation and they turn to me and Royal goes, this is your biggest fan. He's, he's been waiting to meet you. And I'm thinking, well, this is pretty awesome. And he goes, Heidi, meet Father Hess. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hi, Father Hess. 
you know, like, so it's funny because you would build these relationships with people on the phone. Right. You had no idea. We had another guy who was an avocado farmer. Yeah. And he used to, and he needed a lot of tech support. These were early days and people didn't know how to use this. This was back on the spreadsheet on TeamMaker. And every once in a while, he'd send us a crate of avocados and they were really good. And so it is interesting. You do build these relationships oh with, your, goodness, with your yeah. customers, right? Um, and I remember, I'll give you one more back in the day story, but you know, I also was very involved in the trade association, which at the time was called the Software Publishers Association. That's right. And yeah. I was elected president, right? And so I was president of the United States Software Publishers Association, which sounds like a big deal, but you know, it was a pretty nascent thing at the time. Well, anyway, there was this big trade conference in Japan and the CEO couldn't go. He, he, he had a conflict and he couldn't go. And, and there was just this crisis because he had agreed to give a speech and some, something happened, like he had a personal crisis that he had to deal with. So they called me up and they said, would you please go? So I went, I flew to Japan, I had to give this speech. This would be in the late 80s, you know, 88, 89, something like that. So I'm still 28, 29 years old, something like that. And, um, and I remember being on this stage and everything I was saying was being translated. And there were like 200 people in the audience, mostly male, by the way, vast majority male. Oh, in Japan. I and they would ask me questions and they would say like, well, what is your industry's position on something? And I was standing there thinking, oh my God, whatever I say is America's position, the American software industry's position on X, right? And I thought I am so unqualified to be standing here doing this, but there I was, so I yeah. did it. So moments like that, right? We're all just I, we're all just trying to live up to what other people think we can do. Yeah. Um, so a couple other things I remember too, Heidi, that you did extremely well at putting the brand out there and getting the company recognized. It was far bigger brand than probably mm -hmm. its size. So a great marketer um, that you were in the that the team actually helped uh, facilitate. It's different today, right? Because of it's all digital. We're doing all these things online, um, but th that's a huge thing. The it was a smaller. I mean, it was a different world then, and I think you know. Again, there were only a handful of journalists, yourself included, who mattered, right? It was there were only so many publications people read. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't blogging. There wasn't a million. You know, there wasn't social media, and so. There were very few publications, right? Um, yep. Mac World, Mac Week, Mac User, PC Week, PC Mag, you know, you kind of name it, right? There were there was kind of the the set, yeah, PC World. And those were who, and then the general purpose, right? Um, you know, John Markoff and um, Walt Mossberg and Kara Speecher. You go, God. You know, you had you had your peeps, right? Yeah. You had your the the people who really did um, when they it, said something, the world listened. It, it seemed like it was more influential at that time too. Well, it was more central. Like, like yeah. there were fewer, there were fewer of those people. Right. Well, you, and, were, you were a fantastic marketer. I'm, I'm curious as to how you might approach things today or how you counsel startups today. Is it still uh, the same kind of effort, although in a different channel? Yeah, I mean, it's a more diverse, you, you, there are just more channels, right? Yeah. There's so many more ways to reach your customer. And so you have to be cognizant of that. But I think it all starts with, you know, what is a brand, 
yeah. right? And I, you know, I teach this class at Stanford and we, we talk about this in my class. What is a brand? A brand is a promise of consistency. And I think closely aligned to that, or I think the most successful brands are also a commitment to authenticity, right? So consistent, like if you switch all the time, then, then nobody knows what your brand stands for, right? And, and so people can't count on it. And so then it kind of defeats the purpose of a brand. And if it's inauthentic, eventually you get caught where the truth doesn't match the brand attributes you'd like to have. And yeah. so to me, if you start from that place, I'm gonna be authentic and I'm gonna be consistent. And then when you think about, well, what does that mean in this market? You know, does that mean that, that, that we're the low cost solution? Does that mean that we're the most ethical, you know, that we are worrying about um, um, climate change and all our products? Does it mean well, sustainability yeah. is important? Does it mean we're irreverent and funny? Does it mean we're hip? Does it mean we're square? You know, I don't know, whatever. And there's room in the world for, because there are so many different, right now because of targeting and because, the whole world's online, you know, there's a niche for everything probably, um, but you have to be authentic to that niche you're trying to appeal to. Yeah, um, just to take a slight turn because you're bringing up some things that are really fundamental that'll have us looking internally to the company and how you grow that culture. Because what you're talking about from a brand standpoint is how you deliver your, your culture through a brand um through your product through a brand um you also had a, just a very dynamic team that seemed to really share yeah. well we, re we really cared about our products yeah we really cared about our products but, and each and, other so how did and each other we and, and you know still to this day i mean i don't know if you remember um zoe chris diane royal me and julie there's a whole group and, the, and the you know, they're all popping up. Because yeah, I mean, I mean, again, that company, TeaMaker was sold to Deluxe in 1994. So let's do the math. That's a long time ago. Yeah. We still all get together, right? That's, we still, yeah. we still go and have dinner together and do things together. And, you know, and again, there's other names. Those are just the ones that sure. come immediately to mind because they're the ones I most recently, we, in fact, we actually just had a very funny one of them, Julie, was cleaning out her closet and she found a pair of, as she called them at the time, Moken Trow, which were one of our swag. We had a lot of weird swag and these yeah. were plaid like pool shorts with our logo on them. And she was, we were trying to remember what the era of this particular item was. And she was trying to explain to her husband why she could not throw these out, even though they're Probably you know, I kind of think I know who might have been behind that design or product, but I'm not sure. Well, Royal Royal was the mastermind of swag. So <laughs> he probably, you know, yeah. we had a number of unusual. So then we got on this big thread of what was your favorite of oh. our old swaggy stuff. Yeah. And, and so there was a very funny. And by the way, Royal also has the museum in his garage of all this stuff. So it's, um, it's, not, it's not in the bar. It's just the garage. Yeah, well, it might be in the bar. You know, I don't. You have you been to his place? He does have a uh, uh, the uh, the saloon. Yeah, I can't with comment. The diorama on around the wall of the I can't old comment western. Comment on any of that stuff, but quite. But I, I signed an NDA or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about that. Talk about that. <laughs> I, um, your old bar, by the way, I think it's still. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, yeah. Heidi, the thing I was going to say though, let's to pull that thought forward. <laughs> 
is that mm -hmm. lesson that we give to other people too about building a culture and one that cares for each other, that cares for the product. I think that's a, a, a an important point. And gosh darn, it should be fun. You're going to put in all this energy. Fun, right? It should, and we tried to do fun things. We used to do this thing. <coughs> excuse me. We used to do this thing called Adventure Day. And it was once every year, maybe year and a half. Yeah. And we would get, the whole company would get the day off. Yeah. And we would plan something and nobody got to know what we were doing. So one day we flew everyone to Disneyland and we gave each person a hundred dollars in singles and they told them they had to spend it during the day. And another one, we did a scavenger hunt in San Francisco and we had all these, it was a, like a photo safari. You had to take pictures of certain things. And then we all got together and have a, had a contest. One time we went to Santa Cruz beach and boardwalk, but there were always activities and themes around stuff like that. Yeah. I want you to share this podcast with your class so they get to, they get to, uh, I will. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be shocked. And also we were super cheap. So yeah. we'd go to a trade show and we'd pile a ton of people in the same hotel rooms. And like we, rented this really nice suite that by day would be the where we bring important distributors but there right. were like six of us living in it <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know why my brain just flashed to one of my other more fun experiences at uh, Macworld boston where for some reason we were all together and we were trying to get from a to b which is probably party a to party b um, and we all piled into a Volkswagen. And oh, the van. Yeah, we rented one or all oh, the Volkswagen. Yeah, we, well, we both, we had that. And then we also rented, like, there, we had to take 12 of us to do, to run Macworld. Yeah. But I decided That's instead of everybody doing, you know, whatever. And this was also pre-Airbnb. So you just basically had hotels to deal with. We rented hotel rooms and we'd put, like, four people in a room. And, and then I rented a minivan. And I would drive everyone around. So they started, they would sing the Brady Bunch theme and they would call me mom. And it was just, it was hilarious. But okay. yeah, you know, that's what you do to save money, right? I thought you were going to bring up that other Macworld. <laughs> the Macworld in uh, Texas, the rodeo. Oh, God. That's the, I have to say, for some reason, among old timers, that literally is the thing people will remember for about me is the rodeo. Oh gosh. Now, why? I mean, I guess it, I mean, looking back, maybe it was unusual to be a rodeo queen and ride a horse into um, the middle of a rodeo. But yeah, that was, that was one that I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure that was on brand for me really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were doing a lot of things too, but it was that era. So while you were a maverick as a company doing innovative things from a product, from a marketing, from a culture standpoint, there were a lot of dynamic companies at that time that were doing some crazy things. Yeah, it, it was funny. There were, and, but also we had a lot of fun. I mean, I yeah. think there was, there was a sense, and again, I think this is true today too, of certain segments of the industry where we were all in this together and it wasn't a winner take all, loser, you know, whatever. We were... Like think about all the Mac, the Mac community, the Mac itself was a small part of the market. Yep. And so you wanted the Mac to be successful. So we all wanted to help each other, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yes, you wanted to Although be- Although there were the Mac user awards uh, and, and we had to lobby for that. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. The Eddies, were they the Eddies? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Eddie awards. I think Royal has the Eddies in his garage too, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Well, that's fun. So I, I do want to speed this up because I know you're super busy, but <laughs> I, I want to capture a, a, um, 
a memory from, boy, the, the stories with Bill Gates or with Steve Jobs or Bill Campbell, Scully. You had so many fun interactions with those icons of industry also. How did you find, were they, were they, the, uh, were they the people you would hope they were when you got to, to chat with them? Well, you know, I think, I mean, I think the interesting thing about working with, with a number of those people, some of, some of them I worked with very closely, um, you know, for the most part, they weren't famous when I met them, you know, <laughs> so when I met Bill Gates, I think uh, Microsoft had 27 people. So, um, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, I can certainly see why people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs became the, you know, literally legends and institutions that they are because they are some of the most, you know, in their each in their own way, right? Extremely brilliant, extremely motivated and um, tremendous tenacity and tremendous ability. And, um, and again, different skill sets, each of them very different, but but the kind of people that you, you, know, you kind of meet and you go, oh my God, this person is, is astounding. And, um, you know, and as my job as a venture capitalist, we're trying to look for those people all the time. And every once in a while, we, we find one that we think, you know, fits, fits that mold. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong, but it's, it's hard to beat the, the level of, a, of, of some of those, those people. But, you know. Can you imagine doing monthly board meetings with them as they're as their board member if you had yeah it. well i i mean i did work um you know i worked with steve for a number of years because the word processor right now that we published uh, he actually owned the rights to it and so i had to do some negotiating with him which was interesting and uh actually late i did end up consulting to microsoft for a couple of years in the late 90s um consulting to uh the team there around kind of developer relations and and Silicon Valley community and stuff like that, which was which was fun. And, um, you know, so it, I'm fascinating times. I mean, I'm really grateful for that. And then Bill Campbell, I mean, another incredible legend who sadly is no longer with us, but I served on a couple boards with Bill. Bill was an amazing mentor and supporter of women. Just incredible. One of the many unsung things about Bill and in many of the sung things about Bill is a great supporter of many of the women. One of, my, one of my favorite people to go interview, I remember going over to Claris where he went after Apple for a while. Yeah. Um, and his famous uh, uh, parties out there after Friday afternoon. And he was just- the beer a, bashes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. On one hand, he's the football coach and we all called him coach and stuff like that. But uh, really one of the more fun people to interview. And of course, when you mentioned jobs or gates, um, just off the charts in terms of uh, where they connected things, it was a completely different schematic than what yeah. you were working on. Um, but Heidi, you're a real legend in this business in Silicon Valley, and I'm glad for all your success um, since then. And, and uh, the, the, a great takeaway of the story is how to build it, how to have fun with it, how to grow from it and not forget it. I think those are all great lessons you've shared here. But tell me one thing that, you know, if you look back again, how you might have done it a little bit different or one thing you might have done differently. And I know, again, that's a that's a tricky one, given all you've done. But but let's just take that period of time we've been focused on anyway and say, huh, I don't know if I should have done that deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I learned. There are definitely lessons learned. I mean, look, we like I said, we didn't raise money for six years. And the good news about that is I think if I had raised money early on, I probably would have gotten fired because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It took me many years to figure it out. 
That's so um, nice to hear you say. Uh, modest and probably a little untrue, but no. But, but it is. I think it's actually it's fairly true. Um, you know, one benefit of not raising venture is we didn't have any shareholders other than us, so I couldn't get fired as easily. Um, you know, I think that was that was one of the things. I think I was a very conservative person, and in some ways, I still am, which is weird to be a VC and be a conservative person. But on the one hand there were companies, I'm sure you remember some of these that were early competitors to us, Con Context, MBA, Ovation, some of these early, like, I remember actually one of them went out of business, Ovation, midway through a four-day trade show and like they abandoned their booth, people left and Royal stole their sign and it hung in our stock room for years. You know, it's like the, the, the ears and the tail of the bull or something, but you know, on the one hand, there were companies that died because they didn't, um, you know, the, uh, on the other hand, as I said, uh, you know, we got started about the same time as Microsoft. I remember when Lotus One Two Three came around and Mitch Kapoor and, and you know, and, and, and he did like, I don't remember, it was like crazy number, like 50 million the first year. And we were an early competitor to them. And it was like, why didn't we do that? Yeah. Well, we didn't think as big. We didn't do as big. We were we were conservatively plodding along. And the good news is, hey, I'm happy with that. I'm proud of the products, have a good life. It's not a problem. But as one of my kids said, well, mom, if you started a company about the same time as Bill Gates, why are you so much poorer than he is? <laughs> um, so, you know, hey, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I think, I think sometimes if you see an opportunity and obviously this is what I now live as a VC, if you see an opportunity to do something disruptive that results in building a major company and taking significant market share and you need capital to do that, it's riskier to take the capital. You bring in partners, it might not work, but the flip side is sometimes that means you're gonna build a more lasting foundational company yep. and solve more people's needs. Heidi, tell your kids that you're doing great, having more fun than anybody. <laughs> And back in the day was definitely the uh, the bell of the ball. Oh, well, that's very that's very kind. <laughs> that's very kind. I uh, I give me give me a, a quick update for uh, for those that are interested in, in keeping up with what you're doing now. Um, I mentioned threshold at the beginning. Yep. Uh, what what is threshold? What are you looking for? What's uh, what you got cooking? We're up? an early stage VC. We we're doing um, you know typically it's. Series A deals, which, you know, depending on the market is uh, all over the map, but, you know, call it the five to $10 million check. Yep. We do a fair bit in healthcare. We do a fair bit in enterprise SaaS. We do some in marketplace and a little bit in AI, NLP, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, small team, there's, there's, there's a handful of partners and I've been there almost 10 years. It, well, if you include my, the, it was a spin out of DFJ. So my, Duration between DFJ and Threshold is about 10 years. And uh, I serve on four boards for them, uh, including um, Memphis Meats, which I hope you'll hear a lot about. Uh, the company I've heard about them. Cell-based meat. Yep. And uh, Planet, the biggest constellation of satellites ever launched in human history. So that's kind of a fun one. We image the whole Earth landmass every day. And, uh, and then I'm on two public you, but, boards as yeah. well. So, yeah. I was going to say planet might be a little spacey for you, but uh... yeah, it's a little spacey for me. I've had to learn about space and then I'm still teaching. I'm teaching at Stanford. I started teaching there in 2012. So almost 10 years now I teach in the 
um, engineering school, MSNE department and um, Stanford Technology Ventures department. And I teach a course on entrepreneurship uh, to graduate students and it's a tremendous amount of fun. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing all of this, Heidi. It's been fun taking a well, look Well, thank back. you. This was so fun. Walk down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your memory is fantastic, by the way. I need to get on whatever those meets are. Or those, yeah, know, yeah, I don't know. There are days that I have that, you know, that moment where you blank on something and you go, oh, no, it's yeah. age, isn't it? <laughs> You're doing great. Heidi, thanks again. I hope we'll talk soon. Thank you, my dear. This special podcast series is sponsored by Estrella.com. If you need cap table software, check them out at Estrella.com. And SASMAX, for those SaaS companies looking to build the optimal channel of partners and resellers, leverage the best platform out there at SASMAX.com. Check out articles, podcasts, and subscribe and share at www.newmanmediastudios.com.